Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. Jesus said, In those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The Gospel of the Lord. When our three boys were little, we had three cribs simultaneously. And at one point, they all even shared a room at the top of the stairs in the old parsonage where we used to live in Calamus. Three cribs in one room. The house was built in 1912, and so the stairs were very creaky. More than once, I remember coming home late from church meetings to one of our many honorary grandmas knitting in the living room. The house would be quiet and settled. That is, the house was quiet until I put my foot on the bottom step to go upstairs. The stair would loudly creak no matter how creatively I tried to distribute my weight. And the stair after that creaked, and the one after that. With fear and trembling, I could hear the boys begin to stir and whimper as they sensed my approach. When I reached the landing halfway up, I had no choice but to turn on the stair's light. 
which, if the grandma had left the boy's door open, meant curtains for me. Many times this was the case, and between the creaking stairs and the overhead light, I might as well have announced my coming by crashing cymbals or banging on pots and pans with a wooden spoon. Amid their urgent crying, I would assure them, it's okay. Mommy's home. I'm coming. In that dear old house for those three crying boys trapped in their cribs, creaking stairs, and radiating light announced my arrival. They heard and they saw signs that mommy was home. They knew that I was near, that I was coming to them soon, that their waiting was over. I offer you this Advent image. First of all, we have the prophets, the creaky stairs of the Hebrew scriptures, those unrelenting voices that cry out across the ages, Lo, he is coming, prepare. We have Isaiah beating his drum and stirring the people, prophesying to the despairing Israelites, God's own chosen, who are finally returning home after living in exile for years, coming home to a destroyed temple and a toppled kingdom, asking God, where are you now? You used to be with us back in the glory days, but now our home is in ruins and you are nowhere to be found. Their reality is simultaneously rooted in the rich memories of God's saving acts and mired in the muck of dashed expectations and the experience of God's absence. There is a noticeable shift from recalling God's mighty acts of the past to a genuine befuddlement of God's whereabouts today in the now. Like the other prophets, Isaiah continually reminds God who God is, reminds God's people who they are, and promises the people that God will come. These creaky stairs, these relentless prophetic voices call out across the generations, God is coming, do not lose hope. And generations of people have stirred and cried and rattled their chains and asked impatiently, yes, but when? The age of the prophets comes to a close with John the Baptist, who lays eyes on Jesus the Christ, Lamb of God, God incarnate, and announces he is finally here. And with that proclamation... The world is bathed in light as God takes on our flesh and enters our human story. And this is how the Gospel of Mark begins, with the arrival of Jesus Christ. The creaky stairs, the constant call of the prophets, falls silent. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, but now, in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, and his Son is the light of the world. But we must admit, if we are truly honest, that Advent is a weird, weird thing. 
By that, I mean in Advent, we wait for a baby to be born, yes? Who is also a savior of the world, yes? And yet, he is also the one who will return at the end of time as judge. After all, Jesus isn't only the one born for us. He is also the one who dies for us. And the evangelist Mark does a brilliant job of tying this together in this morning's gospel. Mark beautifully illustrates this peculiar advent tension between the now and the not yet. The king who is born now in our time, but also will come again when time runs out. In this last section of this morning's gospel, if you notice, there's an interesting foreshadowing of the passion of Jesus that immediately follows this morning's gospel from the book of Mark. Notice that Jesus warns that the servants do not know whether the master will come back to his house in the evening or at midnight or at cockcrow or at dawn. Now notice the way in which Mark divides the scenes leading up to Jesus' crucifixion The Last Supper, beginning when it was evening, he met with the twelve. Jesus' prayer and betrayal, and once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, because it was the middle of the night. At the close of Jesus' trial, Peter denies Jesus for a third time, just as the cock crows. And then Jesus is delivered to Pilate for trial as soon as it is morning. In other words, according to Mark, Jesus has already accomplished those things that mark and fulfill all time, even the end of time. In Jesus, then, the now and the not yet merge. In Jesus, the present and the future marry. The same thing applies to Jesus' prediction that at the end of time, just a few verses before this morning's gospel, where he warns that of these massive buildings, not one stone will be left upon another, that all will be thrown down. Well, back to the Israelites returning home from their exile, the ones to whom Isaiah is speaking, seeing their home reduced to rubble. This isn't the future. This is the current reality. The Israelites could easily listen to Jesus' description of the end of the world and accurately say, we are living that right now. Our world is already destroyed. We've already died. For us, this is the end of time. For the Israelites returning home from exile, the end is not some distant date in the far-off future. It is today. It is now. Jesus' prediction of the end of time describes their current reality. Jesus then makes, in this morning's gospel, this cryptic prediction that this generation will not pass away until these things, these end-of-time things, have taken place. It would appear that Jesus is wrong. If we are defining the end of time solely as that future apocalyptic end of the world, because that generation to whom Jesus was speaking indeed did die, before the world ended. On the other hand, you could say that Jesus is right if he is referring to those catastrophic events that each generation encounters, like the Israelites returning to their destroyed homeland. These ends of time 
are experienced whenever a kingdom crumbles, a government falls to its knees, a mass shooting takes place, a hurricane devastates, a loved one dies, a relationship fails. Any of these things and more can feel like the end of time, when you can't possibly conceive of tomorrow, when you're sure you can't go another step. I think many in this room this morning have gone through times when you have thought to yourself, my world has just ended. And that's no small thing. And that's the now and the not yet that Mark is talking about. There's an urgency to Advent, a desperate cry from a collective humanity that Jesus come and redeem the daily endings that we all endure in the now. But there is also a collective cry to redeem the world when all time and all worlds cease to be and from them create something new. Jesus comes to redeem both as Lord of the now and Lord of the not yet, things that are and things that are to come. Linear time cannot contain the Savior of the world. We then are all trapped in our cribs, helpless like infants. We are all imprisoned by sin, despair, fear, hopelessness, globally, nationally, and personally. And none of us are able to break free from these prisons on our own. We listen to the prophets of old, those creaky stairs, those voices calling to us that there is a God and that God is coming. And we cry out, where are you, God? And when are you coming to free us? And indeed, God comes to us in the now of our lives to free us from our prisons. God comes to us in the now of our lives to give us hope. And in a thousand years, when the sun fades and the stars fall, God will come to us again in unimaginable recreating and redeeming glory. Behold the signs. God is coming. God is near. We perceive the arrival of our newborn king, we heed the voices of the prophets. We see the light of the world drawing nearer and nearer to our broken lives and our broken world. And we hear footsteps approaching. Why are you crying, says the Lord? Did I not tell you I would come to you? And with the word Emmanuel, our waiting is over and we are picked up and forever held in God's mighty hands, never to be dropped, lost, or forgotten, like a mother holds her restless yet beloved infant child. Amen.